In the fifth chapter of Daniel, the final ruler of Babylon, Belshazzar, throws a party one night. You know the story. He's drinking wine out of the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He's praising his false gods. He's enjoying the company of his concubines, his lords, and his wives. Suddenly, a mysterious hand appears and writes a cryptic message on the wall. Belshazzar summons Daniel to interpret the strange message which foretells of the fall of Babylon. That very night, Scripture testifies, the Medes and Persians take the city and Belshazzar dies. Here's what Scripture doesn't tell us. Persians had the city surrounded. They had laid siege. They had diverted the flow of the river Euphrates. Belshazzar was secure behind the greatest military fortifications in the ancient world. The walls of Babylon were tall, thick, and nearly impenetrable. But Belshazzar had alienated the political elite, and his predecessor, Nabonidus, strained relationships with the priesthood of Marduk and with the military. So unbeknownst to Belshazzar, while he partied, Priests were opening gates to let the Persian army in to the otherwise impregnable Babylon. Because of treachery, Babylon, the jewel of the ancient world, fell in one night to the Persians. When watchmen fail or mutiny, cities fall. And without watchmen, churches apostatize or die. The Holy Spirit saw fit to use several terms to describe the office of elder. The word we choose to use as elder from the Greek word presbyteros. A second word, hoimen, we translate as either pastor or shepherd. But the final word is episkopos. It's sometimes rendered bishop in our English Bibles. But a more accurate translation is overseer. During the 5th century B.C., several Greek city-states formed a confederacy under the leadership of Athens. It was known as the Delian League. They pulled their resources together and cooperated militarily in defense against the invading Persians. Yeah, they were giving the Greeks problems too. Athens sent delegates they called Episcopi to the cities of the Delian League. These Episcopi, from the word episkopos, were sent to maintain public order and keep good relations with Athens. The word episkopos evolved over time to include municipal officials or officers of societies like the mystery religions of Greece and Rome. Episkopos is a general word for supervision, control, implying authority or responsibility. But it carries an additional connotation. In non-biblical Greek, episkopos means an onlooker, as a watcher, a protector, a patron. It was frequently used to describe the activities of the gods. The gods were called watchers over treaties, ensuring the parties who made peace kept the terms of their agreements. Ancient legislators thought of the divine as a watcher over the good works and sins of men so that none could do ill to his neighbor secretly, but must always fear the punishment of the gods. This meaning also applied to human affairs. 
Among men, episkopos meant protective care, one who watches over the welfare of others. So in choosing the word episkopos, the Holy Spirit tells us that God gives elders not only a measure of authority, but he also charges them with the responsibility of protecting, watching, guarding the flock of God. Which is why Paul in the 20th chapter of Acts urges the Ephesian elders to be alert as the shepherds of God's flock. Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 1 through 10 condemns the failure of Israel's shepherds to watch over God's flock. The shepherds of Israel had fed and clothed themselves with the best of the flock and left the flock to fend for itself. No one searched for the sheep of Israel who had gone astray. The shepherds left the sheep vulnerable to predators. The weak and sick and injured remained weak and sick and injured. The shepherds of Israel ruled with force and harshness, lacking compassion for the lost and the weak. This passage is a metaphor. The shepherds, of course, represent the leaders of Israel. The sheep represent the people of Israel. The flock God entrusted to the care of kings, of the wealthy, the priests, and the prophets. Rather than looking out for the best interests of the nation, The elite fleeced the nation, oppressed the poor, ignored the weak and vulnerable, allowed the nation to wander into a spiritual wilderness, and left the nation powerless to repel outside invaders. Nearly 20 centuries later, the church's shepherds, the elders, would do well to heed these warnings. They are not to rule with force and harshness, but with firmness earnestness, and gentleness. They should not leave the weak to their own devices, but admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all. The shepherds of the church should follow the example of their chief shepherd by seeking and saving that which is lost. Above all, elders must always be on guard against spiritual predation. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the apostle contrasts the elders as shepherds of the church with the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Be sober-minded, be watchful, Peter urges. Watchful elders do not underestimate the work of Satan. Paul warns the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 through 31, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. The church faced a real threat from predators, both from without and, more tragically, from within. Circumstances demand vigilance. For a time, the Ephesian church did an admirable job of heeding Paul's warnings. Jesus complimented the congregation in Revelation chapter 2. The church had identified and expelled false apostles, 
In addition, the congregation had rejected the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which may have been an early form of what we call Gnosticism. But as the historical record testifies, Ephesus, like many of the first century churches, fell victim to apostasy. Congregations die off for a whole host of reasons. Churches die because the community around them dies. That's one reason why there is no longer a congregation at Ephesus. There's no Ephesus. Churches die because they stop attempting to reach the lost. Churches die because the majority of their members don't put the kingdom of God first in their life. They don't seek the kingdom of God first. And churches die because elders are incautious or ignorant or cavalier about the spiritual threats circling the fold. Contrary to human belief, human nature has not changed. Today, many people assume they are somehow wiser than our ancestors. We know better now. Or for some reason, people feel immune to the consequences that previous generations paid for their folly. Watchful elders may seem paranoid to some, but their vigilance is informed by thousands of years of human history, two millennia of Christian church history, and 66 books of divine testimony. They are alert because they are neither ignorant of Satan's tactics, nor are they too trusting of human nature. And the simple fact is we are sheep who need a shepherd. There's an old saying, sheep are just looking for a way to die. Anyone who's raised sheep or been around them knows the truth of that sentiment. Sheep have a way of getting themselves into unbelievable predicaments that just defy explanation. And people are the same way, which is why we need watchful, vigilant Overseers. Among the most difficult tasks elders face is confronting church members who are sinning. God describes the prophet Ezekiel as a watchman in chapters 3 and 33 of that book. Watchmen in the Bible were Guards responsible for protecting towns and military installations. Ancient cities often stationed watchmen on the high walls or in the watchtowers, and their job was to keep watch and to warn the townspeople of impending threats. The prophet's job as a watchman was to urge God's people to live faithfully. The prophets were called to warn people of the judgment and destruction that would come their way unless they repented. And if the prophets failed, if they failed to urge the wicked to repent, God would hold them, the prophets, responsible. God tells Ezekiel in chapter 3, verse 18, If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. The watchman who failed to warn the people about their sins was held responsible for 
their sins. Paul echoes this sentiment when he talks to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. Paul had declared the whole counsel of God to the Ephesian church. Therefore, Paul would not be held accountable for the failures of the church. He states, I am innocent of the blood of all men. He's hearkening back to those statements made to Ezekiel. I'm not responsible. I've declared to you the whole counsel of God. And he urges the Ephesian elders to follow his example. God tasks elders with the unenviable but crucial role of educating and warning the flock about sin. It's a thankless job. One of the most extraordinary examples of a watchman in Scripture is the prophet Nathan. God sent Nathan to confront David about his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah. Nathan confronts him in a very clever way, tapping into David's affinity for shepherding. And when David swallowed the bait, Nathan set the hook. You are the man. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. In Israel, no man was above the law of God, not even the king. And David knew it. He did not attempt to shift blame. Look, man, she was bathing on the top of her roof. What was a king supposed to do? He didn't shift blame to her. He didn't impugn the character or the motives of the prophet Nathan. I have sinned against the Lord, was his simple, honest reply. Nathan rebuked David's sins with the truth. And David, to his credit, accepted full responsibility. Paul experienced something very different with the churches of Galatia. False teaching and false teachers afflicted those congregations to the degree that some ran the risk of losing their souls. To accelerate the advance of their agenda, these false teachers attacked the credibility of Paul, attacked the credibility of his apostleship, They set out to injure the relationship between Paul and the Galatian churches. And there was a deep bond between them that was formed in a time of intense suffering for Paul. He first preached Christ in these communities while he was dealing with a debilitating condition that affected his eyesight. The Galatians' empathy for Paul ran so deep that they would have gouged out their own eyes and given them to Paul to relieve his suffering. So Paul is deeply perplexed by what's happening in these churches. He's so deeply perplexed by these developments that he asks, have I then become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Sinning church members sometimes resent elders because they tell them the truth. As Jesus told Nicodemus, everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. This reminds me of an experience I had a while ago. I was leading a Bible study of 1 Corinthians 5, a chapter that discusses church discipline. 
unbeknownst to me at the time, a person was visiting that morning who another church withdrew from many, many years before. This person took the opportunity to publicly criticize her former elders for how they handled her situation. After the disfellowship member said her piece, her mother, very frustrated with the circumstances, spoke up and said, yes, but you weren't living the way you should have. And the protestation suddenly stopped. Silence followed. Was her situation mishandled? Maybe it was. That happened a long, long time ago. And elders are accountable to God for their decisions. Maybe her situation was mishandled. But at the end of the day, the fact remains that she was living in sin. She knew it. And she resented the elders for holding her accountable. Resisting or ignoring the truthful, accurate admonitions of our elders says more about us than it does about them. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Proverbs 17.10 Whoever corrupts, corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Proverbs 9, verses 7 and 8. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 23, verse 9. We may not like what is said, and we may not like who is saying, but only a fool resists and ignores a truthful rebuke. Warning members of the church about their sins is one of the most important and most difficult jobs of the elders. This leads to another underappreciated aspect of the eldership. These brothers carry a significant emotional burden. Their burden becomes especially heavy when a church member or a family in the church is in a spiritual crisis. Consider the example of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. As his first letter shows, the Corinthian church was in a spiritual crisis. They were divided. They tolerated unspeakable sinful conduct. And some of them were toying with idolatry. Paul Paul filled the previous letter with admonitions, with corrections and rebukes. But it was not an easy letter to write. It says in the second letter, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. Not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. At the end of that first letter, he stated his intention to visit them soon. But he tells them in the second letter that he had delayed in order to spare them additional pain and to allow them time to make these corrections on their own. So he decides to send Titus to check on the church at Corinth. 
The waiting on Titus became very difficult for Paul. He says in verse 12, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, a door was opened for me in the Lord. Paul had an opportunity to preach the gospel in Troas. But he was so anxious about what was happening back in Corinth, he left that opportunity behind and went to Macedonia to find Titus. And as he recounts later in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, when he got to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. In our day, we would say Paul was stressed out. He was very anxious and worried about what was happening in Corinth. These are the sentiments of a church leader dealing with a dysfunctional, sinful situation. Church problems can become so all-consuming that it's impossible to tend to other responsibilities. They are always on the mind. Paul was so overwhelmed by his concern for Corinth, he left an open door. To preach the gospel, he left that open door in Troas behind. Brethren, when you are spiritually struggling, you have no idea how much your elders are quietly suffering on your behalf. And the concern goes beyond those who are impacted by the sin. Somewhere in his mind, the conscientious elder knows, I'm going to have to give an account of this to God. What is he going to say? What is he going to say to me? Will he judge me to be faithful? Will he think I was too harsh or too lenient? Will he admonish me for overlooking an obvious factor? Will I lose my own soul over how I handled this? So intense are such feelings that Paul only found relief when he met up with Titus and he learned that that letter had provoked repentance in the congregation at Corinth. All of these feelings are further complicated by one of the secrets of leadership in the church. If an elder takes seriously the warnings against domineering or a controlling type of leadership, he's going to quickly find there are limitations to his office. There are levers to be pulled. Teaching, persuasion, a good example, and patience when it's warranted. All of these can influence errant brothers and sisters. And of course, the elders' greatest assets are prayer and the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, all of the tools at his disposal are only as effective as the willingness of the brethren the elder attempts to help. Because no one, Not even the Holy Spirit will overcome a proud, stubborn heart. And when these crises go unresolved, when brethren resist repentance or leave the church or set out to harm the church, conscientious elders are left to grieve. As Jesus drew near to Jerusalem for the final week of his earthly ministry, he was moved to tears. He knew what was coming. Rick talked about that last week, last night. He knew they were going to resist him. He knew that he would die because of their hard-heartedness. 
And he also knew that God was going to destroy the city for their rebellion. And he was deeply grieved by all of this. Paul tearfully warned the Philippians about former Christians who walked as enemies of the cross of Christ. These thoughts moved him to tears. Jeremiah summed these sentiments up well. Hear and give ear. Be not proud. For the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness. Before your feet stumble on the twilight mountains. And while you look for light, he turns it into gloom and makes it deep darkness. But if you will not listen, my soul will weep for your secret, in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Nothing grieves a shepherd more than proud, selfish, arrogant, willful sheep who close their ears, refuse to reason, and intend to do what they want to do. So why do these men even choose to be elders? There's hardly anything I've described that's desirable. Well, in spite of all these challenges, there are joys. The Apostle John says in his third epistle, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Elders find great satisfaction watching their flock grow in the Lord, grow in faithfulness, develop their talents, serve one another. This is why the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to obey and be submissive to our elders so they may give an account with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Making my elders' lives easier should be one of my objectives as a chief. But as Jesus advised, one must count the cost before desiring the office of bishop. The joys of shepherding mingle with the grief and heartache and burden of responsibility. As Solomon observed, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Why does anyone bother to take on such a demanding role in the church? I'm always struck by Paul's closing words to the Ephesian elders. This is what he says in Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Too many people approach religion or the church or leadership within the church as receivers. What do I get out of it? We discover a deeper meaning and purpose when we see ourselves as givers givers of our talents, givers of our time, givers of our energy. Jesus speaks of this when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. Receivers indulge themselves. They're willing to sacrifice other people's time, other people's energy, other people's talents. Givers deny themselves and willingly lay down their lives for the good of others. The beauty of Christian leadership is the beauty of self-sacrifice. The willingness to bear burdens others cannot or will not at the expense of oneself. Jesus said it in a different way elsewhere. But whoever would become great among you must be your servant. Paul says it this way to the Corinthians. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Laying down our lives for the brethren is the mark of true Christian discipleship. And it's here, at the very core of the Christian faith, the Christian leaders discovered the deep fulfillment of joy in sacrifice. It's the inexpressible joy that's discovered by those persecuted to the point of death. It's what motivated Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And it's why John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Men become elders because it is more blessed to give than to receive. 